Yes, God will take care of you. I just love that song. It's so comforting and it reminds us of just one of the many benefits of being a Christian. God will take care of you. God will look after you. There's so many blessed promises in the Bible, isn't there? And rewards to go with it. If you will be turning in your Bibles to the Gospel account of Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read through verses 1 to 12, and then we're going to go back into this wonderful passage about the Beatitudes or the blessed attitudes. Here we find our Lord Jesus saying, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. These words were taken from the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew, the fifth chapter, and the first twelve verses. This is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached in any age of the world. In its profoundity, in its simplicity, in its majestic sweep, and in its practical bearing upon our lives. It stands unapproached by anything that man has ever written or anything that man has ever spoken. And if the world should last another ten million years from tonight, No man will ever write anything or speak anything even closely comparable to the majesty of the Sermon on the Mount. I wonder if you observe the rewards that were offered as we read these verses. In every verse that we read, there was a reward attached to it. For instance, when Christ said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. What's the reward? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. What's the reward? They shall be comforted. Blessed are the merciful. What's their reward? They shall obtain mercy. These are promises from God. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. What's the reward? They shall be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart. What's the reward? They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And the reward for this is they shall... Be called the children of God. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Let's look at the reward for this one. It's the same as the very first one. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If these were the only rewards ever offered in the Bible, these would be enough to encourage every person to want to live the Christian life, to want to be a child of God, to want to be Christ's very own. But these are not the only promises offered in the Bible or rewards. These were taken from the first book of the New Testament. Just the first book. When we turn to the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, we see letters and promises and rewards to every church that John wrote. We notice that there's a reward offered to those who were found faithful. For instance, 
When he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, To him that overcometh will I, Jesus, give to eat of the tree of life. Revelation 2 and verse 7. What a reward. What a promise from God. That if we are faithful, we will be able to sit down under the tree of life for all eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he wrote to the church at Smyrna, he said that those who are found faithful shall not be hurt with the second death. Revelation 2.11 Then he wrote to the church of Pergamos. He said, To him that overcometh will I, Jesus, give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Revelation 2 and verse 17 How amazing is God's word, brethren. When he wrote to the church of Thyatira, he said, To him that overcometh and remaineth faithful unto the end, the same shall be given power over the nations, and he shall rule over them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I, Jesus, received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Revelation 2, verses 26 to 27. When he wrote to the church at Sardis, to me, this is one of the most beautiful rewards offered anywhere in the Bible. And this comes from God. You can take it to the bank. You can be sure of it. When he wrote to the church at Sardis, he said, He that overcometh and remaineth faithful, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I, Jesus, will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I, referring to Jesus, will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3, verse 5. What a promise. What an encouraging promise and reward if we remain faithful to him. You think of Jesus Christ taking you by the hand and holding you and leading you to that glorious land, to the throne of Almighty God, and then calling all the angels of heaven and hear your name confessed before God by Jesus before the angels. What a reward. What a promise to his believers. This is the word of God. It is not imagination. But it says that it is offered to those who are found faithful. The promise is there for those who are faithful to the King, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when he wrote to the church of Philadelphia, he said, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Revelation 3 verse 12. How glorious. When he wrote to the church at Lesiodea, he said, To him that overcometh and remaineth faithful, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am sat down with my Father in his throne. Revelation 3 and verse 21. Powerful book, the Word of God, isn't it? All these rewards, these promises are offered to encourage us to live the Christian life. But the question is, how will these rewards be given? And to whom will these rewards be given? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn and read a verse with me. Over in Second Peter, the first chapter and verse 4. That's Second Peter, chapter 1 and verse 4. Here Peter 
filled with the Holy Spirit says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And I want you to notice the word nature in this verse, whereby are given unto us great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature does not mean that we will become deity, that is, that we will become God, that we become omnipotent or omniscient or omnipresent. But these are moral attributes, such as goodness, kindness, morality, honesty, and sincerity. See, all those hours of painfully learning Greek do pay off in the end. What's glorious, the word of God. And Peter said, we become partakers of the divine nature of Christ, that we may be able to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. There isn't any person that's strong enough, smart enough, or wise enough to overcome the trials, the tribulations, and the temptations of this life without becoming a partaker of the divine nature of Jesus Christ. And Peter said we partake of this divine nature so that we are able to escape the corruption that is in the world. And this is a corrupt world, isn't it? We see nature all around us, and nature is a powerful thing. For instance, when one becomes a partaker of the nature of Christ, he acts like Christ, he thinks like Christ, talks like Christ, and lives like Christ. When one becomes a partaker of the nature of Satan, he acts like Satan, talks like Satan, thinks like Satan, and lives like Satan because he has become a partaker of the nature of Satan. Nature is a powerful, powerful thing. Nature controls just about everything, even the lower animal kingdom of the world. It controls behavior. It controls appetite. For instance, vultures feed on things that are decayed. The hummingbird eats nectar from the flowers. Now, I have a question. Why does the hummingbird eat nectar from the flowers? That's the nature of the hummingbird to do that, isn't it? And why does the vulture feed on things that are decayed? Because that's the nature of the vulture to do that. Each one is being controlled by nature. Nature controls behavior. For instance, birds fly high in the sky, fish swim. So why do fish swim? That's the nature of fish to be in the water. It's the nature of the bird to fly. Each one is being controlled by nature. And nature controls association. For instance, sheep go in flocks. Ants go in colonies. Well, why do sheep go in flocks? Because that's the nature of sheep to do that. And why do ants go in colonies? Because that's the nature of ants to do that. Why do fish swim in schools? That's the nature of fish to do that. Each one is governed and controlled by nature. And nature controls you and I. If we, as I have stated, have become partakers of the nature of Christ, then we will act like Christ. If we become the partakers of the nature of Satan, we will act like Satan. Everyone is controlled by nature. But the question then is also for us. For those who are found faithful, how will these rewards be given? Well, number one, they'll be given to those who can identify, who, who do identify with the works of Jesus. 
In John the ninth chapter and verse 4, Jesus Christ said, The night cometh when no man can work. Everyone needs to realize that there's coming a time, for instance, when you cannot attend a service like this. Jesus Christ realized that. So he said, I must work while it is day. That is, while I have the opportunity. Why? Because the time is coming when I'll not have the opportunity to do these things that I have in my lifetime. And that's true with each and every one of us. Over in John, the fourth chapter and verse 34, Jesus Christ said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And even at the tender age of 12, when Jesus was at Jerusalem with his parents, after they had fulfilled their duties there, they were returning home and traveled for a day's journey. And when the evening shadows began to lengthen, Mary observed that her son was not in their presence. And she did as most religious people do when they start looking for Jesus. She in no doubt went first to her immediate family. He wasn't there. And then she went to her relatives. He wasn't there either. Then she went to her friends and neighbors. He wasn't there. And then she went back to Jerusalem and found him where she had left him. And if you remember, she said, Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Luke 2, 48. And Jesus at the tender age of just 12 said in Luke 2, 49, Know ye not that I must be about my father's business? And that is the duty and the obligation of every member of the Lord's church. I've been preaching for a good while now, and I've dealt with a lot of people, but I've learned one thing in life. Until a member of the church feels the imperative call of duty, he'll never be worth a thing on God's earth to the advancement of the cause of Christ. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. We must forsake selfishness and pride and arrogance and jealousy. It's all about him, and it's all for the cause of Christ, onwards to the victory of the kingdom on the planet Earth. Jesus Christ felt the imperative call of duty. Many members of the Lord's Day, the Lord's Church, today seemingly feel no responsibility concerning the activities of the Lord's Church. So many churches, so many congregations are like the church in Lacedaemonia. As far as I know, they, they didn't have junks in that church. And as far as the Bible reveals, they didn't have any adulterers in that church. As far as the Bible reveals. But they had a terrible sin among them. And that was the sin of indifference. And Jesus said, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spew, which means vomit, thee out of my mouth. Revelation 3.16 so these people at Lesiodea, they weren't cold, but they weren't hot either. Did you know at that city, there were two volcanoes, one either side of it. One of them was hot and ready to go up at any time, and the other was cold and it was dead. So it certainly had an extra meaning for them. Now they did not oppose the gospel, neither did they defend the gospel. They were not working any mischief. Neither were they doing any great good. They were just simply content to go on as the status quo said, aiming at nothing and doing nothing. They knew they stood well with the world, 
and they had convinced themselves that God was pleased with them. Someone has called it the hypocrisy that does not know itself to be hypocritical. There's no such indifference. There is so, there is so much indifference in so many congregations of God's people today. So let me ask all a question. Do you really and truly believe that you identify with the works of Jesus Christ? Remember, no one can become a partaker of the divine nature without identifying with his works. That is, without feeling the urgent call of duty, the imperative call to be active in the Lord's word. Think about what all congregations could do if the members were truly active in serving God. But so many are so unconcerned, so indifferent. They're not drunkards. They're not adulterers. They don't lie. They don't steal. They don't cheat. They're just simply indifferent, aiming at nothing and doing nothing. We must be able to identify with the works of Jesus to become partakers of the divine nature of Jesus Christ. And then to identify with the nature of Jesus, I must identify with the spirit of Jesus. In Romans, the eighth chapter and verse nine, Paul said, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's a powerful statement. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That simply means that if I identify with the nature of Christ, I'm going to have to manifest the spirit of Christ. So what is the spirit of Christ? Well, as a child of God, I should study the New Testament, study the whole word of God and learn that the spirit of Christ, what it is. So when I study the Bible. I learned that Jesus Christ is referred to as a lamb in Isaiah the 53rd chapter and in Acts the 8th chapter. Christ is referred to as a lamb. That is, he manifested the spirit of a lamb. For me to be a faithful child of God, I must manifest the spirit of a lamb. That's gentleness, meekness, not prideful or boastful, but a humble servant, blessed attitude of service to God the Father. In Revelation 5 verse 5, he's referred to as a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So that means then to manifest the spirit of Christ, I'm going to have to act like a lion upon occasion. So at times I'm to be like a lamb and at times I'm to be like a lion. So then when am I as a Christian to act like a lamb? When people attack me personally, physically or verbally, then I'm to manifest the spirit of a lamb. And you know something? You can begin with the first chapter in Matthew and you can read right through to the last chapter of the book of Revelation and you cannot find where anybody on any occasion under any circumstances where Christ ever retaliated towards those who mistreated him. So we cannot do that. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, Romans 12, 19. So do I believe in vengeance? I certainly do. But I can't, I can't take it. And if it was left from a human standpoint, yes, I would like to take it. Who wouldn't when people upset you? But God said, you can't do that. Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, saith the Lord. David believed in vengeance and he prayed to God. He said, O oh God, to whom vengeance belongeth, 
Take vengeance upon them. Psalm 94 verses 1 and 2. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. David prayed that God would take vengeance upon his enemies. But David knew that he could not himself take vengeance upon those people. And that's a great lesson we need to learn in the Lord's church, that we cannot take vengeance upon other people. God said, vengeance belongeth to me. We can't take it. And if somebody mistreats me, there's that personal instinct, possibly to want to retaliate. But God said, you can't do that. Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, saith the Lord. Romans 12, verse 19. So what do we do? If an individual mistreats us physically or verbally, unless that man repents, God's going to take vengeance upon that individual. So I would say pray for them. Pray that they will repent. Pray that we'll get right with God while yet they may. Now we need to realize that and the church would be so much better off today if we let vengeance remain in the hands of Almighty God instead of trying to take it ourselves. And we need to learn that. God is a just God and we can trust him. Well, when did Jesus act like a lion, you may say? When, when they attacked what he taught, what he spoke of. Listen very carefully to what the Bible is going to say here. If I'm not exceedingly careful, you know what I will do? I will completely reverse the order. You see, if you want to see me act like a lion, they say something about me personally. Then it can come out like a roaring lion attacking you and charging you and making accusations against you and try to show the world that you're worse than I am. Then when you want to see me act like a little lamb, just say whatever you want about the Lord's church. Say whatever you want about baptism, about standing up for the truth of God's word, about say, saying whatever you want about the Lord's supper. And what do I do? Act like a lamb. I don't open my mouth. I have completely reversed the order of the teachings of Jesus Christ. You see, the opposite is true of how we must act. We must not do that. Let man be offended and not Almighty God. Let us never surrender the truth of God's word. Let us never be like meek lambs when it comes to teaching and standing for the truth as revealed in the word of God. Not budge an inch. It's so much more important than our own lives. And so we need to learn that. In living the Christian life, vengeance belongs to God. We cannot personally retaliate. And we also must remember that we must stand up for the truths of God. If we're to remain faithful and attain all those promises and rewards which the Lord has given us throughout his word. We must manifest the spirit of Christ. And then to become partaker of the nature of Christ, we must identify with the example that he set. In 1 Peter 2.21 we read, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. I have an idea that just about everybody listening to this has children or knows children, has possibly trained children in school, maybe in kindergarten or the first grade. And that teacher 
that teacher has given that child some homework. She's copied some perfect letters at the top of the page. We'll say there are 21 lines on this page. And that child's homework is to copy these, those letters. We would think on the surface that the best letters the child copied would be on line 21 because the child has copied the letters 20 times because we've heard all of our life that practice makes perfect. But that's just something we've heard. How in the world could practice make perfect if you're practicing something that's imperfect? That could never bring about perfection, could it? The chances are that the worst letters the child would make would be on line 21. Why? Because the child has got so far away from the perfect example. Instead of looking back to the example at the first line, the child would most likely look at the line 20, the line just above it, when the child was copying line 21. And you know the basic trouble with the average person trying to live the Christian life? He gets separated from Jesus Christ. He gets wrapped up in the world. He gets told by other people, oh no, this is the way a Christian's supposed to act. Don't offend anybody. Don't, don't say anything that somebody somewhere might possibly find offensive. Don't teach the word of God. How many were offended by the words of Christ, the words of love, of truth and power? A great many. The most religious people were offended by it. And they murdered him. But that, does that make his words any less true? Not at all. We must not get separated from Jesus Christ to lose sight of the one whom we follow. We follow in his footsteps. We follow in his example. And if you don't remember anything else I say tonight, please remember this. The closer one stays to Jesus Christ, the easier it is to live the Christian life. I really think it's an ordeal for some people to participate in services on Sunday night or Wednesday night. I really do. I think it's a terrible ordeal for them. Why? Because they're getting separated from Jesus Christ. For some people, it's a burden to say a prayer, to sing a song. It's such a burden on them. And yet it's an honor, is it not? Do you remember when they came to arrest Jesus? And Peter was standing by his side. And there they were. They were going to take away Jesus. As we would say today, Peter was, was saying, you'll, you'll take him over my dead body. And so he drew his sword. And I think he meant to cut the man's head off. I really do. But evidently the, men, the man dodged and he cut his ear off. Well, let me ask you. Would Peter have denied Jesus there at his side? No, no, a thousand times, no. But just a few hours later, not days, not weeks, not months, just a few hours later after being separated from Christ, the very same man who was willing to die for Jesus, to kill for Jesus, which is the last thing Christ would have wanted, is out there denying him. Three times he denied him. I don't know who this man is. I never saw this man before. I just happen to be here. I don't, I don't even know what's taking place in there. And then Peter heard that, crock, that cock crow. You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verses 61 and 62. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. 
and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let me ask you this. Suppose Peter had followed Jesus into Pilate's judgment hall. And when they're questioning Jesus, Peter is standing there by his side. Do you believe he would have denied him, standing beside Christ? No, I don't believe he would have denied him. Not standing there by the Messiah. But he got separated from Jesus. And let me tell you something, my friends. When you get separated from Jesus, you cannot live the Christian life. Outside of Christ, there's no peace, there's no hope. And the closer we stay to Jesus, the easier it is to live the Christian life. The closer we hold his words to us, into our hearts and minds, that cleanse our minds and our souls from this world, the closer we walk with the King. And then in the conclusion, why is this reward so great? Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven. Why is that reward so great? Matthew 5 and verse 12. It is great because it is a reward of understanding. You know there are so many things in this life that we do not understand. There are so many things that are happening in the Lord's church that we can't understand. We wonder why they happen. We wonder why an individual acted like he did, why he said so and so. There are so many things in this life that we don't know. You know, we sing this lovely song, Farther along we'll know all about it. I love that song. Farther along we'll understand why. In heaven we will have a perfect understanding of all the things, all the things that we couldn't understand down here. Up there we'll have a beautiful understanding of everything that we couldn't understand here. It's also a great reward because it's a beautiful reward. There are so many beautiful things on this earth, aren't they? But none of them can in any way compare to the beauties of heaven, to the beauties of being by his side. Can you imagine being by the side of Christ? And he promises if we remain faithful, we will be. I'm so jealous of the Apostle John. Man, I'm so jealous of him. He got to be so close to Jesus. Can you imagine you're full of worry and fear and there's Christ the Messiah and you're so close you can rest your head upon his chest and he's not going, get off, you know. That kind of closeness and that's what he offers to each and every one of us. And that should help us sleep better at night, shouldn't it? What a glorious hope it is that though our bodies may be dead for centuries, Though the cactuses of South America or the rose of North America may bloom over our graves. Though the chilly winds of the North may sheathe our tombstones in eternal ice. Though the encroachments of the desert may bury our bodies in the dust of the earth. Though the plowboy may dance and sing over our long lost grave. Though the wings, the wings of the wind may fan the dust of our bodies to all parts of the world. One day... At the mighty trump of almighty God. When that sounds. And we shall hear. And we shall come forth. And receive that promise. And the reward to the faithful. That Christ spoke of when he said. Great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 6 and verse 12.
if you should die as you are now, do you believe that you would receive that great reward that Christ spoke of when he talked about it to those who remain faithful to him? Are you close to Jesus? Have you wandered away? Have you become influenced by the world, following after the things of the world and not, focus, and not focusing on the things of heaven, of the things revealed in God's holy word? Be sure that you are walking faithfully with Christ. Be sure that you are right with him according to his word. It is the most glorious life that we can live, but he must come first in all things, all things. Nothing and no one can take his place. Nothing and no one can eclipse him or must eclipse him. He will not let you down. He will not fail. Stay close to him. Do not get out of sight of him. Don't let him out of sight. As you know, myself and Christy have a lovely new dog. He's a bit basset hound, a bit sheep dog, a bit lunatic. And the moment we get out of his sight, he goes crazy. We can't get out of his sight. He goes mad. What loyalty. I often think we can learn so much from dogs. They're so loyal. They're so loving. They're so faithful. Should we not have at least that kind of loyalty to our master? To our Lord? How can we not? And to know he loves us so tenderly. Be sure you're right with the Lord. As, Christ, as a Christian, be sure you're following Jesus first and foremost. And if you're not a Christian, obey the word of the good shepherd. In Mark 16, 16, the Lord said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. If we are saved, then we have the benefit of all those wonderful promises that we, re that we read about in the gospel account of Matthew. And those promises and rewards that we read about in the book of Revelation. And that's just those books. That's just a small part of those books. That's not even all the promises and rewards of the Holy Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's glorious. It's wonderful. Why wouldn't we want to follow him? If you're not a Christian tonight, I beg you, please, while yet you may, get right with him. And if you are a Christian, and if you've lost sight of him, run up, run after him, catch sight of him. Don't let him out of your sight. Don't let his words out of your mind, out of your heart, out of your spirit. Hold close to the Lord Jesus and let his words, his promises and the rewards that he has promised to his faithful ones cleanse your minds from the filth of this world. And then one day you can stand before him and you will be beside him and walk with him. What a wonderful savior we serve. If you need anything, if you need our prayers, or if you need to get right with God while yet you may, we are here for you as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you.